to changing. Dynasty and Hotel will not be seen tonight, but will return next week at their regular times. Stay tuned now for the following Christmas Eve special. That's wonderful. for the whole family. I want to start blasting by the 24th. Oil drilling on the North Pole. There's a very good chance you're going to blow up Santa Claus. Two minutes. Without help, this Christmas could be history. No one beats her. Art Carney. Oh, oh, they're starting a dynamite again. Jacqueline Smith and Paul Williams race to rescue St. Nick. One minute, 30 seconds. Is it curtains for the clauses or the night they saved Christmas? Terminate the countdown. Eight, seven, next, six. That's our sleigh bells. Welcome back to a special Christmas edition, or if you're first time here, welcome to. Come on in. Take your shoes off. Have a good time. Uh, some cocoa. Uh, some Jolt Mega Cola. <laughs> uh, some, uh, we have some eggnog for you. It's late on a Saturday night. A nice cold, s- cold December Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, snowy Saturday night. This is a special Christmas edition of the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, I'm Dion Baia, joined again with uh, Jay Blake. Uh, as always, happy to be here. And uh, we figured we'd do like a nice uh, two-parter Christmas uh, cast for, for yeah, to keep well, it in the seasons. Well, you know, originally uh, when we conceived of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, I don't think either one of us really had theme episodes totally in mind. No, but, no. But uh, we, did ho- we did Halloween. We did Halloween. Well, we did Halloween, Halloween 3 for, for Halloween. Halloween. And then... Uh, our, la- our last cast was our Thanksgiving cast, where we did uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. Classic. Yeah, that was for Thanksgiving, and now we're, d- we're, we're all of a sudden we're in the Christmas season because it was forced upon us at <laughs> Halloween time, and so uh, we both picked two movies to do. And this week we're going to do uh, Black. S- uh, I was going to say Black Sunday. It's <laughs> <laughs> a hell of a Christmas movie. <laughs> Black Christmas from 1974, the original Bob Clark, and for people out there. Uh, Bob Clark, also the director of the beloved um, Ultra, maybe even too commercia- commercialized uh, Christmas Story I from know, 1983. Classic. It's part of the uh, Bob Clark Christmas uh, two-pack right there. The canon right there, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And it's so weird to think that you have this movie who that has become so... I think in recent years, I guess maybe in the 60s and 70s, you had like um, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, after It's a Wonderful Life, you had... Um, that, that kind of got a, a classic in the 70s, and then in the 80s, um, I guess uh, you got National uh, Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Has become yeah, iconic. Yeah, I mean, you think about history of, uh, of uh, Christmas movies. Um, there was actually a really great, I haven't seen it this year, but last year I watched most of a really great, uh, like, Turner Classic Movie special about oh, Christmas. Oh yeah, films. I taped that. I don't know if I've watched that. It's uh, it's pretty good, and you know you have like the Christmas Carol movies, like you said, and we got It's a Wonderful Life. You got uh, White Christmas, classic, uh, 
and as we're pushing forward into like you know our era yeah and like 70s and the 80s and 90s it seems like i guess because of television and cable yeah they've really like embraced well that's how it's a wonderful life because that wasn't really a success when it came out and then in the 70s they wasn't even like when they put it out it wasn't even thought of as being a christmas not even no because it's usually it's just the end of it just the bookends are like christmas and then they lost the rights to it so then in the 70s anybody who was anybody would just put it on tv so it got so circulated so much it became just a a classic which i think kind of happened with a christmas story because the Christmas story was when we were growing up was on TV all the freaking time, and then right before it became what it is now, you have uh, it, they show it like on TNT and other channels like like you know, just back to back for like twenty four hours. Yeah, or, some or I remember a couple of years ago AMC was doing um, uh, a they would play. Uh, uh, National Geographic, National Geographic, National Lampoons, <laughs> National Geographic, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> totally different. It's movie. in Africa. <laughs> Jeez, the lioness comes up blue. Um, National Lampoons Christmas Vacation. They played like every night at eight o'clock, and it's like Jesus. How can you watch for the twelve days of Christmas, or whatever? This movie's on every night at eight yeah, o'clock. Yeah. But so these movies become so iconic. So uh, you know, I know myself. Uh, it, this is my favorite time of the year, Christmas time, and I love watching Christmas movies. And, uh, you know, how many times can you watch the ones we grew up on? So I've started to go way down the alley and watch the old ones, like you said, you know, White Christmas or A Holiday Affair or A Shop Around the Corner or all the old black and white ones that people might necessarily remember as Christmas movies that are still great. And uh, this is one of the movies. This is 1974's Black Christmas. <laughs> a Christmas classic. You know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of movies that people forget, like Take Lethal Weapon. That's a... a a clutch action movie that's a Christmas movie because yeah, it's Christmas. Christmas time Die Hard Die Hard classic uh, right around the same time that's a Christmas movie uh, to a lesser extent Rambo First Blood <laughs> <laughs> somewhat of a lesser extent but also true you know Gremlins uh, you know a lot, of, a lot of for me it doesn't necessarily have to be so much about Christmas but if it takes place at the, the Christmas time it's a, it's a Christmas movie yeah. Much like our last movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles it wasn't about Thanksgiving but it took place during the Thanksgiving I mean, holiday yeah it wasn't about but near the end, they kind of summed it up with that montage. It was about... I mean, I don't, we don't want to get too far into playing Trains and Automobiles because we already talked about it, but uh, it was about getting home for family yeah, and the, the importance f- of which, family tradition. Which we've completely that. lost now in this era <laughs> of, of Thanksgiving. But Black Christmas is, in my opinion... Uh, and we did a podcast for the, for the Podwits about kind of for Halloween we talked about horror movies that we thought maybe deserved a revisit or maybe were underrated or we thought maybe forgotten and uh, this came very close to being on my list it was both we picked five a piece we did a written for Saturday night movie sleepovers and then we did a cast a side cast for the podwits.com which you can go find the podwits.com and the, and the written which was a separate list was at Saturday night sleepovers Saturday sleepovers.podwits.com <laughs> and that that we we always find these become hard lists to do, and we do like a, like not necessarily our best, but we we or we consider like we're preaching, but we think that people should go look at. Yeah, and I, I know that was tough. That those horror ones. The horror movie lists were tough, and because I, I really wanted to, I felt like putting, I really wanted to put this on there, but in my head, I kind of you know when you're trying to make a list, and you're and you're narrowing it down to five, of like your favorite. You have to sometimes like you have to make agreements with yourself that you set up like rules. And in my opinion, in my mind, I was like, I can't. There is a remake of Black Christmas, so I'm not going to put it on this list. Like it's it was appreciated enough that they made a remake. <laughs> that they made a remake in like 2006, I think. 
Um, and, the, and the point of our cast was to, to, to hit people to movies they might have forgotten yeah, that yeah. we thought were good. Whereas, like, the remake, like, a remake of a movie, even though the original might not have been so popular, it brought some awareness to it. And yeah. that was, since we were trying to bring awareness, I didn't pick Black Christmas. With that said, I think Black Christmas, in my personal opinion, is one of the most underrated uh, horror movies, um, slasher movies, but I would even go as far as horror movies of all time, in my personal opinion. I have a long history with this movie. Yeah, um... <laughs> It's great to do the cast, especially with you, because you're such a, uh, an aficionado of, of, of horror, as well as uh, you taught it for many years, as well as you did a horror class. Yes. Uh, and as well as you've written blogs, uh, you've done other writings, you've uh, interviewed extensively uh, uh, people who were within the genre, uh, mainstream, famous, non-famous, uh, to, to a certain extent. And... Uh, it's interesting now to get your take on all this because it's it's like getting it's going to the source and getting the expert opinion. Um, Black Christmas. It's interesting because a movie he did he did a couple movies before, but you look at a movie I think which is his debut, uh, Children Shouldn't Play with Dead Things. Yeah, that's a good movie. It's a little weird. It's a little slow. It's got some really cool parts. I know they were thinking about remaking it. I don't know where that's going. Yeah, but it has its elements that are freaky, but. You kind of have to be in the mood to watch that. It's like ah, you know, it's, or or you got to kind of like let the flaws of it pass. That does not at all occur in this movie. Black Christmas from beginning to end is just amazing, and it holds up. Not only does it hold up, uh, I uh, upon rewatching it, I couldn't find any flaws narratively with you know usually with me. Why is this character doing this? Or why yeah, is this yeah. written in here? Or this is stupid. That's stupid. I didn't see. I don't think any of that. The only thing I would say, like in my opinion, that could be negative about it, and I don't consider it negative, but I could see that uh, a more contemporary viewer might find that it is kind of slow-paced as being a negative. I don't... I personally, it doesn't... You know, I like its pace. Well, but I think it, it certainly in certain element, uh, certain scenes builds tension. Yeah, it's kind it's, of like it's a slow amazing. burn. Yeah, and, and it's... It's interesting too because I think it's it's the forerunner of that classical, which we see, which I forgot to see what what year the original um, when a stranger calls come out with Charles yeah, Durning, yeah. but it's the forerunner to that well, like yeah. the, that's why concept the, the importance that, that, of this movie, uh, nineteen seventy four yeah Black Christmas comes out it's a Canadian production shot in like Toronto and uh, in a nutshell it's basically there's an as always with all these casts, spoilers up the ass. <laughs> yeah, 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 with our podcast. <laughs> so uh, keep that in mind. Um, but in a nutshell, there's a sorority house. It's right before Christmas, and so there's a lot of there's like a little bit of was with a little bit of a Christmas party. Some of the girl, most of the girls are going away. Some of the girls are staying, and then we have the POV of somebody outside watching this party happening with these girls. And that's introduced I think from the first shot of the movie. You have this credits come up and you have the establishing shot of the, this beautiful house that's a sorority house like yeah. one of these older Victorian houses. And Christmas carols, like very classic sounding Christmas carols. I mean I find uh, sonically the, like the sound of this movie is also really important well, the, the, and the, kind of cutting edge. The, the, compo- the composition of the songs and, and the score is amazing in itself. The score, we'll, we'll, we'll get yeah. into the score. Um <laughs> But so this, let me see this POV sneak up like the, well, he looks in the windows 
and he's looking around and seeing inside. Then he goes up the side like the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Like a trellis. Yeah, or the trellis that that, really, that has the on the side of the house that has like the uh, ivy growing on. Yeah, it. Yeah, and, and he stuff. goes up and he's able to gain access into the attic window and he gets into the house in the attic, and it's one of these huge attics that has like you know probably decades of stuff in there. Yeah. And then, like, I think the last shot before we break away from the POV is he, he opens up the crawl space and there's a stair, there's a ladder leading down to, like, the third floor, which is, like, where the where some of the bedrooms are. And then, then the movie begins in this weird... Yeah, so it's right around, it's right around Christmas. The Christmas carols play a large uh, role in, the, in, like, kind of the sound design of the movie. It's a great cast. Olivia Hussey, uh, beautiful and great in this movie. Gorgeous. Um... She would later become, uh, you know, Mrs. Bates in, uh, like, Cycle 4. Well, you know, what's interesting is um, to bring it, to connect it to our uh, last cast we did, she went to the premiere of Roxanne, the Steve Martin movie, and Steve Martin cornered her uh, on the red carpet and says, hey, you're in one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh, Romeo and Juliet? Because she was uh, Juliet. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, no, it. Black Christmas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, I've uh, seen Black Christmas 27 times, I guess, at the time. Whatever. I've heard that story, yeah. it's uh, She's great in Margot Kidder. Margot Kidder. Um, she's great in it. Um, really well cast, very like... John Saxon as well. John Saxon playing the cop. Now, what's interesting, when I was doing research for this, they... They offered Betty Davis, because at the time, Betty Davis was doing a lot of horror in the 70s. Yeah. They offered her the role as the, um, the den mother of the yeah. house, and, and I, don't, I guess she declined. They offered Malcolm McDowell, I think, the role of the father, who, who, one, of the, one of the girls who ends up going missing, and he declined. Edmund O'Brien, who was a, a big character actor in the 40s, 50s, he was going to play John Saxon's character, but had to, 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 to uh, back out because he was too ill, and he maybe died a little... Um, a little uh, time before this movie came out. And then Gilda Radner was, was slated to play, I think, maybe uh, Olivia's character or maybe Margot's character. But then she had to back out at the last minute because of uh, prior uh, commitments to Saturday Night Live at the time. Yeah. So it's interesting that you think about if that cast were to be... <laughs> yeah, but yeah. at the same time, this cast is amazing that they were able to, the, you know, like bring in John Saxon at the last minute. Yeah. And he, it seemed, he has so much street cred. Like, I mean, you know, I, I don't know if people... A lot of people nowadays either know him from Nightmare on Elm Street or even Enter the Dragon. If you're a Bruce Lee fan, yeah, but yeah. he's just—I also—he's he's someone that I think if you didn't know his name, you would recognize his face. He's in that many movies. I mean, he hasn't really been in much in the past decade or maybe even two. Because well, he's getting up there. But now. Uh, I mean, this guy started his career like in the '50s. Yeah, uh, as like a studio, you know, contract actor. He, a ton of like western types things. Um, for those real hard junkies, aside from Nightmare on Elm Street, he's in uh, uh, Tenebrae. Oh, by, yes, he is. By uh, Dario Argento. Yeah. A lot of, he actually made a lot of Italian horror movies during that period of like the 70s until the early 80s. Because a lot of those actors were going over there. A lot of the, the character actors were going yeah, over there. actors got to act, man. Yeah. Um, so it's a great cast, and it was written by a guy named uh, Roy Moore. Because I was wondering, like, did Bob write this too? Bob Clark? No. And, and his original title was Stop Me. And uh, I guess the last minute, Bob Clark came up with the name Black Christmas. But then it was released over here as Silent Night, Evil Night, or when it went to TV, A Stranger in the House. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, it's weird. You don't see, I don't think you see as much of it now as you used to but when you look on imdb or whatever you'll see like aka half a dozen (laughs) like especially horror movies horror movies either foreign films i think 
or especially horror movies, you'd have a half a dozen names. Like look at the like the Fulci or the Dario Argento movies. They yeah, have yeah. all of them have like uh, Deep Reds, like the Hatchet Murders. They always they always have like an alternate name. Even for us, a, a big uh, movie for us growing up, uh, The Professional was Leon. Yeah, you know, but over here it was The Professional, and that, I think that was my first exposure with oh, there's an alternate title of the movie. Yeah, Why yeah. is that? You know, uh, so. Uh, they're having the sorority party because they're just about to break for the Christmas uh, holiday, and I think it's like the 22nd or 23rd probably in the movie. Yeah, it's either... Because all the girls are about I ready to I want to say it's away. like the 23rd because it seems like... Well, it could be. It could be earlier, but it, it's right around like the next day at one at their like their brother fraternity house. They're going to have like kids over at Santa Claus. and So it's definitely like they're gearing up to do some like cha- like charity kind of community work in the holidays and so it's right around that Christmas the, that Christmas period and we have this mysterious point of view uh, person <laughs> that we're, that's watching what's going on in the house with this house with a house full of girls and it's, it only takes place in like a 48 hour time frame or maybe even less it could only take place in 24 hours but it takes place over two days yeah. Like a night into a morning into the night. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It is like less than 48 hours. Yeah. And then we discover there is, there's like, like a prank call. Not even like, like, not even a prank call, but like a really disturbing phone call to the girls. And, the, and they, they've dubbed this guy the moaner. So they must be getting it a lot. So they're like, oh, hey, it's the moaner. And they all stop what they're doing. They run over to hear what he's saying. Now, aside from the first person, which I think is... I wouldn't say it's revolutionary, but it's definitely an elephant in the room. Like, it's a huge part of this movie. And uh, I know we've talked about Peeping Tom, the Powell film that has yeah, yeah. first person. Uh, the first person work is amazing in this. But also, these phone calls are so fucking disturbing. These phone calls I mean, they're, are... I mean, they're, I mean, to the point where it's like, I know it's a movie, but, like, they go on for so long. And I wonder if that's done on purpose to, like, okay, I'm uncomfortable okay, I'm beyond uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. This is freaky. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what I would do in this situation. Like, this, like I don't know. In my personal opinion, I've seen this movie, I don't know, double digits probably yeah. over the years. Like you and Steve Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Steve Martin love... Playing banjo. We love Black Christmas. Um, but the there is never a point where those phone calls don't get disturbing. No matter how many times you see this movie, they're just the creepiest... Like from the sound design of it, there's like it, the caller has like these multiple voices, like yeah, a very it, schizophrenic. It sounds like there's more than one voice at a time, and I was wondering. And it, there is, I mean, I mean, in yeah, terms how they of did it, how they did it. But I'm wondering but, if they, if it's, I mean, you know, me, I'm just trying to figure everything out. If it's like he's recording a cassette tape of one voice and playing that and doing it because because <laughs> some of them overlap. Yeah, yeah. It's so it's, it's like so it's so crazy, and it's and it's. And, that, and nothing, and like that first phone call is the creepiest because of the way it ends. Well, so it goes on for a while, and then he, he doesn't he start getting, he, then he gets starting dirty. He yeah, starts yeah. like, I want to lick your cunt, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's getting really like obscene and upsetting. Yeah, yeah. And, and Bob, uh, Marco Bob Kidder. Clark does a really good job with panning by all the girls. Yeah, yeah. So you're getting like, you know, they're all kind of like, okay, this is creeped out. This isn't fun anymore. And Kidder has had like a little too much to drink. She's like a lush in the film. Yeah, she's she's a little bit of a lush. She's kind of got a dirty mouth. She's a bitch. She's I don't a bit really of a, like her. She's a bit of a bitch. So she grabs the phone and she's like egging the guy on. Like, yeah, I don't fucking yeah. care. And then, and then you're right. It, then at the ending, it's like it's... A completely calm voice. Like after like all this, like, I want to lick your pretty cunt. And all yeah. this like craziness, like almost like Linda Blair, yeah, like exorcist, exorcist type voice. 
like a lot of all this craziness. And then it says, I'm going to kill you. And Very then it hangs up. <laughs> and it even freaks her out. And she's like, whoa. <laughs> this guy's got over the line. And then at this point, they're, like, they're not even thinking about calling the cops, which is hilarious. Like, they're like, well, you know, this happened all no, the time. Crazy. Well, it's college campus. Yeah, it happens, you know. Um, and they only get worse because they keep getting these phone calls. And they just, they're, just, they're just demented and weird. And it's just, it's, it's really... It's really disturbing, and, it's, and I think it's a, um, I guess it, it's something you've kind of lost in generations now with landlines and having, being able to, and this would be, you know, I mean, I was, I did it too, to, to, to be honest. I would crank call people, or, sure. you know, the big thing with friends, like, oh, let's call and hang up on somebody, <laughs> you know, until they develop yeah, Star yeah. 69, you know, or like, let's call 911 and hang up and hope they don't call back, and they <laughs> yeah, call yeah. back and get in trouble, you know, but it's, it's, it's scarier to think out of the realm of not having cell phones, and mo- all you have is your landline. And you start getting these calls, you know, and, and you can't, and they're they're almost disturbing. And uh, what we, we were talking about a couple casts ago, the what is that? Black Sunday, Black Sabbath. Yeah, remember there's one of the one of the little yeah, there is like a episodes in that where she's she's getting calls, you know, and the, and, it's, and it's always I think that's a really freaky thing, young girl at home or a group of girls or whatever, and you think you're safe in the realm of your little world of your house or your apartment, and then you, it's almost like you're getting. It's it's like a an invasion of the privacy through these you know the, the your connection with the yeah. outside world. So these phone calls are happening, and then kind of like, you know, we could get into more detail, but you know, in a kind of a nutshell, then this person that's in the house is kind of like picking off these girls one by one slowly. And there's not really <coughs> many deaths. Yeah, because most of them because most of them have left for the holiday. Yeah, so I've counted four deaths. In the course of the film, within the house, and there's one other death that's not really related to the central plot. Yeah, but we—I think it's safe to assume. You think it's the same person? That it's the same person. Yeah. See, there's so much going on here. Where it's we, so, and then you have all these little sidelines. So then the first woman who disappears and she's died. She's she gets asphyxiated, and the the person drags her up to the attic, and that's this is the night of. She she gets mad at Margot Kidder for having talking for, for being a bitch <laughs> yeah for being a bitch right after the phone call she leaves to go pack yeah. the killer that was or the, the 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 home invader who's in the house is hiding out in her room uh lures her into the closet kills her in the closet drags her body up into the to the attic puts her with, in a rocking chair puts it with a doll keeps the bag overhead that he asphyxiated her with and then that's the end of it and then she she stays there rocking the rest of the movie even to the point where he's even he's talking to her because that's like his base of operations yeah, the attic. yeah he loves that attic and uh like you, and then so then the next day, uh, you know, the father comes and he's like, "I'm supposed to meet my daughter at uh, said time here, and she's not here." And then you know, everyone's just like blase about it. Well, she's probably out fucking. Right? You know, <laughs> like, and he's like, "Well, you know, I don't pay my daughter to come to this." And then you know, yeah, it's, yeah. and it's like he goes to the sorority house, and then he's like, "What's going on?" And then they finally help him. They go to the police station. The police kind of blow him off, and then uh, the 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 guy, the body, uh, the boyfriend, who's the guy from the invasion of the body snatchers, Art Hindle, one yeah. of my favorite actors of all time. Definitely need to give him a shout out. He's a, in the movie. He's a hockey player. He's a goalie. Yeah, uh, great Canadian actor. Uh, he has, his part is actually rather small in this movie, but he plays Jeffrey in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which is Brooke Adams's boyfriend yeah. in that movie. He's also the lead in The Brood. Oh yeah, he is. The, yeah, which is a movie that is on my list that we did in Halloween that we were talking about Cronenberg. earlier. Um, which we'll probably get to in one of these cats. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, so he great. I love Art Hindle. He knows John Saxon, who's like a lieutenant of the police force. So he yeah, finds he's like out. he's a townie, and I think that's where like the friction is coming from. A, uh, the girl who gets killed and Margot Kidder, she says something about the townies, and it's clear that like I don't think 
Art Hindle is like he might be at school there, but he's like he's from there, and that and, and he's her boyfriend. Yeah, and she disappears, and, and he meets the father, and he's like, "What do you mean they blew you off?" So he runs right over to the station, and we're introduced to um, John Saxon's character, who is in the middle of investigating a missing little girl, who's yeah, thirteen year old. There's a mother; she lost her little girl. So uh, he's immediately like, you know, uh, agrees to help Art, and then they uh, that night of they set up a. Uh, 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 of the party. Yeah, search party of, of town volunteers, and they immediately find the dead 13-year-old, which is very yeah. horrific. And uh, then they start getting more prank calls at the house, and more people get picked off at the house, and then it, I guess it basically culminates with uh, Margot die. Everybody dies. <laughs> Everybody, there's a lot of comic relief involving the house mother. Which is very funny, because it's done not in such a way that it's over the top, where she's... You come to find out she's got a belt of booze hidden in every yeah, every yeah. corner. I mean, of the it's house. a little over the top, but it's, but, it, but it's not it's not oh it's not like totally outrageously. Yeah, like it, it doesn't feel like it's uh, it, it alienates you from the film, and she ends up dying, and she's dragged up to the attic as well. And then the other, uh, we had like that storyline with Art Hindle and the, and the missing girl and John Saxon. The other like kind of storyline going on is Olivia Hussey's character. She has a boyfriend who's in the music department. Looks like a poor man's Ed Harris. <laughs> well, he's... Uh, what's his his name? Is uh, so, something weird. He's the guy that plays Dave. Oh, from... Um, 2001. Yeah, he's aged very well, because if you look at him nowadays, he looks exactly... He just got a big old beard, but he looks exactly <laughs> like he did from 2001. So we get, you know, the the guy from 2001. He plays... He's a, he's a pianist in the music department and he's got some huge recital that's got to happen right before Christmas. I guess the, I guess the semester's over. Yeah, so maybe that's his, yeah, it's his like midterm. And so he's been practicing his piano for like three days straight, hasn't slept, hasn't slept and uh, we find out that Olivia Hussey is pregnant and she wants to have an abortion which I can only imagine 1974 is pretty progressive. Yeah. Um, well, you, and you look at the house. It was interesting the layout of the house, like their decor. It's kind of like you have the the, the layover of the '60s, where it's yeah. like you're in the '70s, but you still kind of have like w- the decaying of the peace and love environment with the posters and this and that, you know. Or the uh, there's a shot of the old lady where it's like yeah, ten, yeah. twelve stills of an old lady, and she slowly puts up the middle finger at the. You know, that's very you know obscene yeah, yeah. for the time. So you're right. It's it's there. There it is a very progressive, like strong woman. Hear me roar. You know, burning your bras, kind of a sorority house, and she wants the the, the abortion, which I guess really he learns prior to his yeah, recital. And yeah, like the day before his recital, she tells him that she's pregnant, and it destroys his recital. He doesn't yeah, think he plays like well. He can't, and he becomes he becomes. Let's just say, without spoiling it, he becomes like the main suspect. Yeah. Of who is because we never see the him and who's the PO. We never see the guy who the POV is, and we never see them kind of together. And he seems he's definitely high strung, so he becomes kind of like our main suspect as to who this person is that's that's doing this. And in true like uh, artisan fashion or uh, whatever you want to call it, he 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 ser- unceremoniously destroys the piano. <laughs> yeah, well, after the, he fucks up his uh, recital he and he in. can't get his way with Olivia Hussey, he uh, destroys his piano. Um, well, he he goes over the house and confronts her about it. And they have this big argument about it. He leaves, and then one of the next prank calls, the one of the calls actually 
recites what they their conversation. Yeah. So that's why immediately it's assumed, oh, maybe he is the suspect because how would anybody be privy to what we spoke about unless it was him? But little do we know. It, well, the other the thing guy, could be that the guy is in the house. He's in the house listening. <laughs> you know. Now uh, another thing to say about the P, the POVs as well is the disturbing. Um, like it's almost like the Joe Spinell maniac. The <sighs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you get a lot of that, which it's just very terrifying and very well, unsettling. Th- let's talk a little bit about the, the what I was kind of getting at, at the beginning. It's like the importance of this film, 1974, same year we have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and uh, and it's interesting. They do hold. I guess if you don't want to hit on that right now, they do hold some similarities in the sense which you've always preached about, at least to me, I don't know who else, <laughs> is that, you know, it, it classically in horror films, you, 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 they, they try to allude to a reason. Norman Bates, it's his mom fucked him up. Or yeah, yeah. Night Living Dead. Well, maybe, does it have anything to do with the Saturn, you know, the thing coming back from Saturn? Does that like, <laughs> no, not at all. That zombies are coming back. Yeah, yeah. But Texas never does. They never tell you why these people who work at a slaughterhouse are just eating people. Yeah, like there's no rationale and that's one of the great things about kind of like the first halloween is you don't know what's up with michael myers he's evil yeah you know um and you never really find out what's going on in black christmas now for 1974 i mean you had other horror horror like on a big budget kind of studio front we had the exorcist Hmm. which is like 73 74 and low budget front kind of more independent we have black christmas and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, when I taught the horror class, there was one semester that I taught. I showed this cl- this film, A uh, Black Christmas. I always showed Texas, but I also showed Black Christmas one year. And in doing my lectures, I kind of like pointed out that like Halloween doesn't come out for another four years. That comes out in 1978. Then 1980, we have Friday the 13th. Um, now. You could argue that, like, slasher movies kind of start with, like, Psycho or uh, Peeping Tom. I would say Peeping Tom is more in that vein. Um, people would talk about Mario Bava, things of, like, Bay of Blood. Yeah. Uh, being kind of, like, the first, quote-unquote, slasher movie. But really, in terms of m- many of the conventions that we become familiar with in the 80s, post Halloween, and I think Halloween is really considered kind of like the benchmark, like Godfather of slasher movies, like the first. But really, four years earlier, Bob Clark's doing this. Yeah. Um, and using a lot of the tropes that you they come to use in these slasher films and are copied, like we yeah, said, when a like, stranger like calls. The, 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 like calls coming from within the house. That gets used in what you just said, when Stranger Calls. It becomes an urban the, legend. The POW, I mean, the, POW, <laughs> the, POV, the Prisoners of War. The, pris- the, the, the point of view, the famous like Halloween opening, that's done in this movie. Um, just like, and then I always thought like, okay, Black Christmas kind of started... Uh, like those conventions kind of got started here, but then you have Texas Chainsaw Massacre where we really have Sally as being like the final girl. But Olivia Hussey also fits that like yeah. kind of uh, you know archetype perfectly. So we even have in this movie like that idea of like the final girl for, uh, for uh, real horror nuts would read like uh, from the book Men, Women, and Chainsaws. 
um, which is an entire book about <laughs> like this uh, and the final girl is this the last the survivor of the horror movie and in, and in these slasher movies it's most always a female like a strong female that is able to kind of overcome the like the 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 evil or <clears throat> you the know alien or whatever it is yeah whatever the monster the quote unquote monster is so Olivia Hussey even like kind of fits that role so you have all these conventions that become cliche less than ten years later um, aren't started with Halloween mm. they're started with Black Christmas and it's not even like you know the idea of like Friday the Thirteenth Halloween you know my bloody Valentine like Burning we, ha- and all we these, have, yeah. but we have Christmas. <laughs> you know, we even have that of like using a holiday as the as oh, the I set see. piece or in the title to kind of set the mood and set the. So like, this movie is a forerunner to like everything you kind of, you know, that's familiar to you about slasher movies. It all kind of started with this movie, and it's done well. It's not hokey. It holds up well. The pacing. You said it might be slow for some people, but I thought it was great. Um, it's actually like surprisingly well done for like the budget that they clearly have. Yeah. Um, like they invented a rig for the POV, POV stuff, and like they didn't really have. Yeah, because like people, a steady a steady cam to use yet. For people who don't know, I mean, at the time they're shooting film, so uh, that's what I was thinking. When he's at the beginning of the movie, when he's climbing this trellis, you see both arms coming in the yeah. frame. So I'm like, does he have this damn the camera on his head? I mean, that's a heavy camera yeah. with how many feet of film that this guy has, and it, I guess they strap it to his back, some sort of rig. So I guess it the lens must be coming uh, uh, you know, one side of his head, and it's just it's amazing. It works way, well, and it, and it looks truly like a POV. It doesn't look like a weird a guy holding a camera walking up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's uh, surprisingly well done, and, and you know, for the time period, for the budget. Now we talked about sound a little bit. You you mentioned how you really like the music, and uh, what I find crazy about the music, uh, which is done by a guy who I think his name is Carl Zittrer, mm. um, is that it's really not music. It's sound. It's noise. Well, it's like the use of the harpsichord and the piano. And it's the, like it's like this. A lot of it is like the drama is like pounding on piano strings but not the keys or running something along the piano strings and just making just like abstract noise, which I think works so beautifully in this movie. I mean, it's not the kind of score um, that you're going to remember because there isn't like a melody. It's not tradition. It's not traditional. It's very kind of avant-garde, but super effective set like as a backdrop to, uh, to these like classical like choral uh, Christmas carols, and I also think that the music itself is being like that kind of uh, percussive piano string sound. I think is another thing that kind of links in a subconscious way to that character who's the pianist, because when he destroys the piano, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, you gotta get the noise. Um, it's just it's a really clever movie, kind of like on all fronts. Um, other Andrea Martin is also in the movie uh, really young. She ends up playing the role of the house mother in the remake. Okay, yeah. That, that, it's interesting because in the remake, Bob Clark did have something to do with the remake. He like, produced it or something. And they try to 
they try to, uh, as I remember it, don't they kind of explore? <laughs> yeah, they kind give of you a, they a get reasoning? more into like Billy, who's you know, and it's like he lived in the house and he's in he it was his house when he was little and it was a he was jaundice. He was some he had a some kind of sickness and he was jaundice. He was like yellow tinted skin and he la- he was lived up in the attic and he had a very pers- promiscuous mother of course and I actually really like the remake yeah I thought it was I, it's surprising I it didn't goes, see it until it, years later and it's, it's, it's actually I thought it was good it's uh, I saw it like at the movies I want to say that I saw it like at the movies like on Christmas like the year it came out and then I watched it not too long ago because I was like I remember really liking it and you and I had done a cast about horror movie remakes for uh, podwoods.com. And uh, so I rewatched it. And I, you know, it takes a very, like, weird turn. Like, not that, not that, like, it's, not that it's, like, straight, a straight movie, and then all of a sudden within the context of the movie, it gets weird. But the movie itself just has, like, a very strange tone. And I totally, like, kind of dig it. Now, do you think, this is pure speculation on our parts, but do you think in making the remake that they felt like they needed to justify the character or do you think that was the direction they wanted to go do you feel like that they would they would have been able to get away with a character like we did here where you don't really know who the hell this guy is and why he's doing this there's no motivation or do you think they feel like since it's a modern audience the, mod- the audience needs the justification like you, what I mean is did, did all that backstory come out because they had a remake in our hands and we, hey, we can explore this character more, or they felt like that was their duty with a remake and we can't do the same way because it wouldn't be, it wouldn't hold water as well. I think because of the nature of like the weirdness of the explanation, I feel like it's more likely that they were gonna remake it and somebody was like, hey, let's just try like. You know, to make it not exactly the like the first one, let's put our own thing on it and let's explain who the fuck this guy is. Because did they do that to a certain extent with the remake of uh, Halloween with Rob Zombie? Kind of well, like I mean, not even. I mean, that's basically what that movie's about. It's yeah. It's all I've only seen. Um, it's all it's all his back. Michael My- Michael Myers's backstory. So it's like it seems like they need to. The, they want to justify these characters. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that starts... I mean, even Halloween 2, the original, like, yeah. we get an explanation as to why, which doesn't make any sense, but we get an explanation as... And as much as I love Halloween 2, the one thing I don't like about that movie is that it explains kind of why Michael Myers uh, picks Laurie Strode and all this stuff. Um, but as you're saying before, like, that's what I love about kind of some of those movies, especially from that time period of the 70s, it's like, I don't need to know why. Like, I don't know why, like, like Jaws kills because it's his nature. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like, it, for me, Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Well, they even tried to make that into part four. <laughs> they're like, you know, uh, what is it? The revenge sometimes, yeah. you know, they take but it like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it's like, there is no reason. I mean, the reason, if you're gonna give a reason, it's a reason that, that we won't want to accept as a society, which is like human flesh tastes better, yeah, or whatever. Um, but it, that sometimes makes it more scary. That, that yeah, there is I no mean, reason. I yeah, like I agree. I mean, we could talk about I bec- we could do two casts on Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, I'll I'll admit that the first time I watched Black Christmas, Black Christmas is not a movie that I grew up with, and I actually believe I told my black. St- Christmas story of how I got like my copy and stuff when we talked about horror conventions. Um, in a nutshell, it was like I was at a horror convention years ago. I think this is when we were in college or just out of college. Um, and John Saxon was at 
was doing a signing at the horror convention. So we, at that time, there was like an outside tent. It was like near October, so it was kind of cold. So there was like this big tent outside of this hotel with like space heaters heating it. Um, you know, Counselor Troy from oh, Next Generation. Jaws from the Bond movies was there. Jo- Joe Pantoliano was there. Like <laughs> This big uh, like tent filled with all these people. So I'm walking around, and I see John Saxon. I'm like, holy fuck, John Saxon. You know, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan, so like... You know, and to me, it was like, holy shit, the guy from Rise of the Dragon is here. I walk up, I'm looking at his picks, his 8x10s. I end up getting a really cool 8x10 from Enter the Dragon with him and Bruce Lee autographed. And I'm looking around, and he's got this single copy of Black Christmas on DVD sitting on his table. And I'm uh, I'm looking around, and I pick it up, and I'm like looking at the back of it. Because this is at a period where, like, I'm becoming a huge hard nerd. Like, I, I, I had loved horror movies, and now I'm, like, I'm really getting, like, exploring the inner, you know, the, the depths of, of, like, of, like, you know, horror history, and I'm getting this stuff. And at that point, this was, like, the first time it had been released in, like, decades. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't, like, a, nowadays I think more people know of it, about it, maybe because of the remake. But at the time, like, I didn't know what it was. I, mean, I think I had heard of it, but I had never seen it. So I pick it up, I'm looking at it, and John Saxon goes, uh, that's a really good movie. <laughs> and I was like, you know, and I, I was kind of taken aback, <laughs> and I, I was like, uh, oh yeah? He's like, yeah, you know, it's, he's like, it's really good. You know, like, out of the movies I've done, I'd say this is probably one of the, you know, one of one of the better movies. And I was like, oh. And it's still wrapped in, like, the shrink wrap and stuff. So I said to John Saxon, I'm like, well, how much? And he's like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, how much is it? And uh, he pauses, and he's thinking about it. And he's like, uh, 15? I'm like, okay, I'll take it. And he's like, oh, okay. So I give him the 15 bucks, and uh, I pull it out, and I pull out the sleeve because I want him to sign it for me, and he signs it. And he gives it back to me, and I'm walking away, and our buddy Chris goes to me. He's like, I think you just bought John Saxon's like, private copy of that movie. <laughs> Because <laughs> he really acted like, why are you taking he, that one? Like he really, he really acted like he had no intention of selling it. Like you, that I, was the, you bought the display copy. <laughs> <laughs> so I bought like his only copy. Um, so then later, that was around Halloween. Around that Christmas, I go visit my mom for uh, Christmas, and there's nothing to do at my mom's house. So I bring, I always bring like a shitload of DVDs. So I watch it for the first time, and I will admit. That when you watch it with your mom? No, I watched. I think I watched it by myself. But I will admit that, um, and not and Dion kind of says that because watching something like that with my mom would not like, like I always say, like when I try to explain, like my mom, like my mom's seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre more than once with you. <laughs> yeah, like she'll always sit down and and watch something with me, and I, I was always that way. So she has seen a lot of things that you wouldn't typically think about watching with your mom. But this particular instance, I watched by myself. But going back to, like, the reason that not having, uh, not knowing why, all this stuff, I will admit that when I watched it the first time, intellectually, I knew I should like it because of this. But, like, as a viewer, I felt a little let down. That, like, more shit wasn't explained. That I didn't really know what was going on. I've now come to really love it about that movie. But that initial viewing... I remember thinking, man, like, I should love this about this movie because of 
the discussion we just had and how I, I've always said that about Halloween and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like on like a complete like other like like irrational viewer, I was like I remember feeling like let down. I wonder if that was the overall consensus of like the general audience. I mean, if people were upset by. I mean, it, it's rated now as one of Canada's best films. They put this like. That and the other one he did, Murder by Decree, which I guess also was shot up in uh, yeah, Canada. Yeah. Like they're on like Canadian's a, a favorite film. That yeah. will probably be done on this. Show. I love. I, lo- I haven't seen it. in You quite turned a while. me on to that movie, and I now love that. Well, because it it came up, it, it kind of turned into uh, Alan Moore's From Hell, and then the Hughes brothers went and made the, the yeah. adapted it into a movie. And which now, as of, they're gonna do a a, do a TV a TV show on it. Yeah. Uh, so, but it's interesting. That's the original. But anyway. It's it's like ranked up there as like one of their f- like best films like uh, Black Christmas. I mean, it's got a lot going on, and uh, you know, I found Margot Kidder very sexually frustrated. <laughs> she she needs to just get fucked if that's the uh, if she that's does the proper, seem that or way. proper way of saying it. She's always talking about sex, and she's talking about you know fellatio four five seven four is a new phone extension, and she's talking about dick and sex and. and well, she definitely comes off as. I mean, we find out in that movie that she has a, a relationship with her parents that were they're probably rich and she probably had like nannies i mean there's just like a there seems to be a relationship something going on with her or like her relationship with her parents or her mom that uh she seems like she's acting out um for attention and it's amazing like how it's just it's another like you know another like tribute to like bob clark and roy moore for the script and like kind of how good that movie is, is that there's like a single phone call and then a scene that comes after where she's like to her friends, like who wants to go skiing, you know, because like basically like she's been let down um, by her mother for what their, their Christmas plans were. And it's, it's amazing that he gets to, you see what she's like beforehand before this happened, you know, before that phone call. So, you know, that she's kind of crass and a little bit of a lush and uh, you know, kind of looking for attention, and then in an in, in instance of like five minutes of screen time or less, even we kind of like it clicks, like oh, like you understand it, yeah. like why she's like this, and then the scenes of her from then on are very sad, you yeah, know, kind of like hammered and kind of like yeah. uh, almost um, trying to get a rise out of the father, out of the father who's there to look for her. her and, and it's interesting; it's it's really. I, w- I don't know if it's brilliant or interestingly play that scene where she's completely hammered and the den mother or the sorority ha- should really step in and stop it, but she just lets it go. And the, f- the father's, whose you know, daughter's missing and no one really gives two shits. So they do, but they're just not really caring. Yeah, he yeah. just sits and listens to her rant and he just doesn't say anything. He's, he's not, not even judgmental. And I wonder if it's like she's looking at her own parents through him or you know, she's looking at him as a parental figure and she's saying what she wants to say to her parents and he just doesn't say anything about it. Then she goes upstairs and she gets murdered. <laughs> and uh, I found the murder to well, be... Well, Andrea Martin is great in that, in that scene because she's the one that kind of... Uh, she's a, cel- a fellow sorority sister, but she's the one that... She plays a character named Phil. Uh, she, She's the one that kind of puts her in her place and she's like, just go to bed. Like, just go upstairs and go to bed. Um, so it's really just like the, th- the, the house mother, the father of the missing girl... And uh, Andrea Martin's character listening to a completely sloshed Margot Ketter. Great acting, by the way. Uh, I think all I think all of them are great in that yeah, scene. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. But uh, it's, you're right. It's a really that that scene is kind of like the most telling 
of like any of the characters really in the entire movie. Um, and then we she she passes out. She wakes up having an asthma attack, and she's like, "I dreamed that somebody was in the room watching me, or somebody was." Well, we first see that the POV goes into her room yeah. before she wakes up, and so, then she starts like having an asthma attack, and and uh, you're right, and then she's like, "I said I had this dream that somebody was in here." And then uh, when she's killed, I found it very uh, reminiscent of the murder of the mother in Night of the Living Dead with the trowel. Yeah. You know, because it's very stylized because the, the, the killer uses like a unicorn, like a, like a, yeah, like a crystal or glass unicorn with a huge, huge uh, uh, horn. <laughs> and, he, and he just destroys it with it. And it's very stylized. And I, I feel like it's maybe the most stylized killing in the whole film. And it's done in a very good way. It's very interesting. It's very well done. But I felt like it almost had, you know, shades of the the the, the trowel going up and down with the m- mother in the basement at the end of Night of the Living Dead when all hell breaks loose at the end of that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that movie was only what I guess eight years or seven years before, so I don't know if that was an influence. But uh, and then I guess the other huge thing to, to tap on is the tension in Act Three of the phone of tracing the phone call. Yeah, yeah. And this, this is you totally need to get into and this. it's really cool because it's another thing that people forget about nowadays. But because it's back when all we had were transistors and uh, you know wires and hard lines and, and landlines. So yeah, it, it's a whole world that's gone now. Like I bet you. If you tried to go find that location, they shot at the phone company. You wouldn't find that wouldn't even be there anymore. <laughs> yeah, be, yeah. That whole building is probably just you know encased in like one computer tower now. But yeah. So ba- but basically, what Dion's getting at is so th- for John Saxon as the police uh, detective or whatever, per like his instruction, someone from the phone company comes. I don't know the actor's name, but that guy's in a shitload of Cronenberg yeah. movies. Um, so obviously, a kind of a prominent like go-to guy for like low-budget Canadian cinema of the time um, so the phone they put a tap on the phone and uh, they set up a phone in John Saxon's office that will ring when the sorority house phone rings but on John Saxon's phone like he can't talk like you wouldn't hear anything you just hear he can hear he what's can there. hear he can hear what's on the phone call but he can't like contribute to the phone call and then there's the whole like cliche of you got to keep him on the line so I could trace the call now in, in most movies it's just like you got to keep him on <laughs> you know yeah, it takes just, a minute it's, but it's always a, like in, in our movies it's uh, recent movies it's a cliche because it's like a guy behind a desk yeah, yeah. like it's it's going and then you see like a you know maybe like on the computer monitor like Chicago to Miami <laughs> to, he's using a, a tracer bouncer yeah, yeah. but this but movie, even before like cell phones and stuff it was always like this idea of like you got to keep him on the phone and it was always just like very tense people sitting at a desk waiting to have it traced. But here in Black Christmas, we get to see why it need why do you need to keep them yeah, on the phone? The phone guy is actually in the in the exchange office or wherever that yeah, like the switchboard office. But it's like this entire like warehouse full of like phone switchers and, yeah, and, and like machinery, the, the noises and bells, and he's he's following to each circuit breaker and board. He's following where the call and I, I and I can't even understand. How the equipment works. Yeah, the, you like, know? it's the beauty of it is like you don't need. You know he knows how it works. Yeah, and he's <laughs> following. He's basically you know, fi- following the call through all like all the switchboards to try to figure out where. And where it's all it's these. And it's from. a Latin machine. You know, it's like and then. Uh, I think the call the caller comes calls twice and he loses it and he's like damn and it's like <laughs> it's like oh my god and and then you know then uh, of course eventually he's able to trace the call and, and he doesn't realize. 
but he gets the address and he, he calls John Saxon, tells Jackson and John Saxon, and he's like, "No, no, you got it wrong. That's that's where the call's going to." He's like, "No, it's it's coming from." And then I I read, I remember when we were little, there was a shtick which I think was even like an, uh, a a a plot of an episode of Growing Pain. Was it Growing Pains with uh, Kirk Cameron? Yeah, where. If you if you call your number, I forget how it works now. But if you call your number and you like add like four at the end, yeah. you hang up, it'll call back. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember that you used to be able to do that. And I was like, yeah, oh, you're cool. Like star or something. And yeah, then, and yeah. then you hang your phone up, your phone will call back, and that's how. Oh, someone called me. But I thought that's what that killer was doing. But I guess I th- they said, from what I read, is I guess the den mother had another line. Well, the den mother has another line in her in the house. But there seems to be some other line in the house that nobody even remembers exists or something like that, I think. So I don't know if he's calling from her, see, I was, her line or if there's another one. But like he's calling. Line. He's not having the phone call back. He's actually making the call. Yeah, yeah. So it's like it's a big loop back to the house. So because I was at some point when you realize that the person's in the house or maybe you don't realize. I don't know. Maybe because I knew. Because I've seen the movie. No, I think you know. I mean, I think that it's a good. That's a good question because I there were questions like that in my head as I was watching it this time, which is like, if had I not seen it before, like I couldn't remember how I felt, you know, about specific things from when I first watched it, and I didn't know what was going on. So there were things in my head that was like, that were like. If I didn't know this already, would I? What would I think? Like, like, like what you're saying is like, would I know that he's calling from within the house? I kind of think you do because you know that the, unless you th- unless you make the leap that the person on the phone and the person killing people within the house are two different people. <laughs> but I think because you know that there's a PO, there's someone in the house, and the POV within the house. That you do make this, you have to. I, you I have think to at one point, I think maybe during the second act, you start to come. I don't. Maybe initially you don't. Maybe you think it is too different. Maybe you know they may. I think they might set it up that you think it's just some sorority dude. But or, I think by the end, know. I don't think you don't have that moment of like when a stranger calls, where you're like, where it's completely the, surprised. Like Olivia Hussey has that moment. Yeah. But as an audience member, you don't have that moment of like it's coming within. The, <laughs> the calls are coming from the house. Get out! Get out! <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's done great, and that tension's really racketed up. And then she's great in that scene where she finds out. Yeah, that the cop comes. She's waiting at the door, and she's yelling. She's like, "Bob, yeah, to her, Phil, to her friends, answer me." We're all dead up there. Yeah, and she goes to investigate. And of course, what you're not supposed. Well, to she do. doesn't want to, and she's yelling. She's like, "She's actually really great in that scene." Uh, I, no, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah, I, I think the whole thing is great, and then and then at the end, you, you find out. Uh, you know her, her her boyfriend, the the piano player from twenty thousand twenty thousand <laughs> Well, I mean, we say, I think going on from this point, I think we're going to start spoiling like the ending. So if you don't, I mean, at least I am because I have questions for you. Well, we uh, have about, to because that's, that's, that's what it's about. <laughs> so I guess if you if you don't want to know the ending of the film, you should probably turn off here. <laughs> so thank you very much for listening. <laughs> Check us out on powers.com. Check us out on Saturday night. Uh, Movie sleepovers, Saturday sleepovers. Powers.com. Bye. But for everybody okay. else, hey guys, how you if you guys are still with us? Uh, so he 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 shows up, and I don't know how she she uh, the the guy attacks her. She runs and she locks herself in the basement. Yeah, and the guy's in the house. Well, there's it's set up that there's something wrong with the front door and it sticks and you can't get it open or something yeah. like that. So she goes. They ha- now have locked 
once the the little girl is found dead, they lock all the doors and the windows in the house. Because yeah, the search party comes by and goes, we found a body. You better lock all so that yeah. they lock everything. So they lock everything up. And now Olivia Hussey cannot get out of the house through the front door because it's set up through an exchange with the house mother. Like, I gotta get that door fixed. Yeah. <laughs> you find that out a little So she's kind of trapped inside the house with the killer. So she goes down to the basement. She locks herself in the basement. And we assume the killer is... You know, trying to get into the basement. Then you see like real scary stuff, abstract views and shadows from the windows of uh, that are on the f- in the basement windows of someone looking in. And then you hear it's the boyfriend like, "Hey, are you in there?" And he he, he you know he takes the uh, the ice off the glass. You can see it's his face. He breaks the window. He gets in, and then he's very calm. And it's different because it, it sets up because he was like in tears when he was calling about yeah, that. Yeah. So you're like, "Whoa, Jesus! Maybe he is the killer because he's he's so calm now." And, and then. Finally, John Saxon arrives. John Saxon's like, why the hell hasn't the person outside been gone in? We find yeah, out the they guy's had a cop parked outside for their protection. After Turns the out machine, he's dead. He's dead. He got his throat cut. And he's like, holy shit. And then, and then they all know to run into the basement. And she's there, and she's beat uh, him to death with, with the, the uh, like a fire, fire poker. poker she got from the fireplace. And then, then, that, then like the, the, like the, uh, the coda or the, the uh, after the whole, uh, what do you call that? Which, I, by the way, the, when he finds her dead with him he's um her boyfriend is kind of dead on her lap and she's kind of sitting back and you don't know at that point she's like looking down you don't know if she's alive or dead. yeah her eyes are closed and so you don't know yet if they've killed each other or whatever it's 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 that that shot is the shot from dead ringers (laughs) oh wow with the two two jeremy irons two jeremy irons is that intentional? I don't. I, I can't imagine that it is, but it, it's like a very striking image that um, has always struck stuck with me with Dead Ringer. So when I saw, it, you know, every time, not it's not like I discovered it this time. I was like, holy shit! I just know that every time I've seen, watched Black Christmas, that image always strikes me because it's the same image <laughs> as in Dead Ringers. Well, then, then after the in the denouement, they, they, you know, they have all these cops in the house, and they're, they're putting her to bed. They've drugged her. She's knocked out. Yeah, it's like a stationary shot of, like, the room, of, like, a bedroom. And there's, like, cops walking back and forth by the camera, and there's doctors. There's a lot of chatting. And so it, we're basically getting a lot of this information just through, like... Uh, the exposition of the people just uh, Yeah, of just, like, voices that are off camera. And uh, the doctor's like, I'm going to stay with her all night. But then somebody faints. And then, and then, and then see... It was brought to my the attention. father faints. Does the father faint because he's been up to the attic? I don't know. You know, there's this, there's uh So the father faints and like, we got to take him to the hospital. So the doctor leaves with the father. And then yeah. for some reason. Art Hindle and, and the doctor take the, the fainted father. father. Uh, there is this exchange between cops that are off camera where it's like, should we check the basement or and, the the, and the attic? And they're like, let's wait for like the state. The forensics oh, guys to come. Okay, something. I never heard the answer to that. So I'm like, oh, so are they. I think they're waiting for like the lab guys to come in. So I don't think they've been up to the attic yet. And then everybody leaves, and then and then you find out in the last shot that there is somebody positioned like on the porch. So there is a cop yeah. there, but nobody's in, left inside the house with her. And then you go up to the attic. I think you trail up, right? Doesn't the camera just go up this, the ladder and all that? Yeah. And you get to the top, and you see, of course, the body's still there. Yeah. She's looking. It's very freaky. And the other, the den mother's still hung up. Yeah, She's yeah. there. And then you hear the guy start talking. Yeah, yeah. He's singing to her maybe or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he's saying his, what he's doing is creepy boy. It's creepy stuff. And then as you pull back and you have the exterior, because you see that she's in the window, you could see the bag overhead. She's still in the attic window. You pull back, you see the guy on the porch, the cop. You hear the phone call again. Yeah. So it, like, it's like, you know, the phone's ringing again. And then that's the end of the fucking movie. 
That's the end of the movie. Phone ringing over like credits. Yeah. Now my question is, yeah. which I did. This is something I kind of thought this time around that I don't know if I've ever kind of thought this. Do you think the phone is ringing because he killed her? Because it's kind of set up this thing where like after he kills somebody, he calls. Oh yeah. yeah. And the first phone call, maybe we're supposed to assume that he's killed the little girl. Oh, and that's why he's calling. And he's calling. So the phone rings. And Olivia House is the only one left in the house. She's alive. And I wonder if we're supposed to assume. I mean, I'm sure. That he went down and killed her. And that he killed her and now he's making the phone I don't know. Call. That's like the question. You Do you think that it was the, the, the father going upstairs? Why would the father have fainted? I don't remember what. I don't, re, I don't remember the scene well enough to see, like, to remember, like, if he's reacting to something that's sad or. They're just like, oh, what happened to him? And like, he's in shock. Yeah. Maybe he did go upstairs and, and see it. I don't, you know, because he seems remember. like a very proactive father. He's, like, taking the investigation himself. But, um, and I guess the last thing I'll say about the movie is I love, you don't see carolers anymore. And there's a whole scene with carolers <laughs> coming to the door. That, and it's a lot of times the, the murder's masked by the first girl who's murdered. Is her, her, her struggle and everything is masked because they're downstairs, like, partying yeah, it up. Yeah, being a present or something. And yeah. Like, ah, like cheering. And then the second murder, when the den mother's killed, it's masked by there's carolers. No, that's not it. Uh, who's, there's another murder, maybe Margot Kidder's, Margot Kidder's murder is yeah. masked by the carolers at the door. And then I also like that the, the den mother's call the taxi. And when she goes up because she hears the cat meowing, yeah, the cat's... Yeah. She thinks the, yeah, she thinks it's up in the attic. She sees that she gets killed, and then you have the when she's being murdered. You have the taxi driver at the front door, like, "Hey, anybody here?" And then he's like, "What the?" And then he, like you see him walk away, and I guess it's the point of view of the the cop wa- or the, the killer watching the taxi driver leave. Um, so I like carolers. The, the caroler scene is it's it's funny you brought that up because that was something I wanted to bring up because I find it very it's a very I find it funny because there's carolers, then Libby Hussey goes open, she opens the door, they're singing, they finish a song, and then they start another song. And I find it, I realize that it's it's a very, like, not only an awkward scene, but I feel like it's an awkward, like, tradition. (laughs) Because, like, you feel like... Yeah. You don't want to like close the door on these people. That are well, that's what used to happen. They just they just go up, and I don't know if they if they knock on the door, know. they ring the door. She they does just, end they up just face you, and they start singing, and you're like, ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like do like one song, and then they start another song, and I just imagine that like it just goes on, and like you're like, <laughs> <laughs> like after the first song, she was probably ready, but like, oh, that's great, thank you, and close the door. But then they launch right into another one. Like, and what do you want, money? What do you want from me? <laughs> she does end up like I think slipping them, slipping like the oh, yeah, teacher yeah, yeah, yeah. or something, some money. Oh, because um, then the other teacher comes up like, what? Get him in the car. There's, they found a little girl dead, you know. <laughs> but I just imagine that, like, I just thought it was funny because you could tell, like, she after the first song, I could imagine that she was ready to like close the door and go about her business. And they're still like, you know, they're still, like, no, she has, she's just like sitting there, like, <laughs> she's just like standing there awkwardly waiting, like, doesn't know, like, what the, uh, you know, what the protocol is. Um, I thought it was great. Or you, 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 of course, you, you love it. Yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, how many, um, how many Joe Colas, Mega Joe's? I would give this, out of five, I would give this baby five. Yeah, I would say out of... I love this movie. You know, I really, as you know, like, trying to come up with a movie, I was really trying to think more outside the box. But at the end of the day, it was like our inaugural, like, Christmas. And I think it's also our inaugural horror movie for the cast, official. Well, Halloween 3. Oh, that, duh. <laughs> <laughs> I completely forgot about but, that one. But, uh... Other than that, yeah. they're second. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I give it five uh, Sleepover Stars. I thought it was great. Yeah. It's good. And, it, and you know what? It holds up. And a lot of these movies sadly don't hold up. I had I watched it that original time where we were talking. And that was a long time ago, 10 years ago or more. 
and uh, I'd seen the remake. And then I'd say about three years ago, I got really into seeing midnight screenings of movies here in the city on Fridays and Saturday nights. Various theaters will do like a midnight screening of something. And the uh, landmark Sunshine Theater on the Lower West Side, um, Lower East Side, when they do a midnight screening, at least back then, I haven't been to one in a while, it's a print. And, um... It's just becoming far and few between nowadays. Yeah, you now at times it's like they just project like a Blu-ray. But they for December, they were doing Christmas movies. Um, and uh, me and a buddy of mine, Steve Hastings, who wrote the theme song... For to, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> wrote and recorded the... Uh, performed and recorded the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers theme song. Uh, he and I went and we saw... Uh, Black Christmas projected. I don't know if it was a. I, I can't imagine that they have a 16 millimeter projector there, but it was. It was. It was shot on 35, so maybe it was a 35. But it was. It was like full screen. The projection of it. Was that the original aspect ratio? I feel like I it was. I mean, I know even the DVD is not too wide. I mean, because back then, if you know, if you're doing a, a low, you just shoot it on four three. Who cares? You know. But uh, it was that screening, seeing that projected on like midnight on like a December Friday night or Saturday night, that like really like rekindled my love for this movie. So, and was that your second uh, viewing of it? I guess I want to say that that was my second viewing of it, and then so this is actually probably more than three or four. This is probably. This could be closer to like six years ago um, that that happened because I later taught because of my revisiting the movie then that my that's why I taught it in the class that one semester so that was actually much more than uh, three years ago but um, one of my favorite midnight screening movie experiences was seeing it empty house too unfortunately sadly <laughs> well that's that's why hopefully we'll you know for the people who listen to this they'll they'll be able to put the word to the street and tell people about these movies because they really do need a uh like a a second coming or, or a new look they deserve it because they're so good and, and a great sleepover movie i mean you know it's yeah scary turn out the lights and get your yeah and then you just start making fucking phone calls <laughs> Start get calling a little, the landline. Uh, a little old, like, Miracle Whip, uh, uh, Cool Whip container of uh, filled with popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like an old, an old plastic like pop container. Secret just, just, it's, it's, it's great. It's really, it's really uh, good, and, and it's highly recommended. I mean, and especially because the same director went on to do such a, another iconic Christmas story. Oh, uh, Bob Clark. You man. know, I mean, and he, he ended up doing... Uh, we talked about Bob Clark recently, but what were we talking about, Bob Clark? Uh, I don't know why we were talking about Bob like Clark. <laughs> I mean, well, he passed away in 2007, I think. Him and his son, uh, it was a drunk driver, crossed the median in the middle of the night, hit him head on, and they both died. They were Bob in Clark the also directed Porky's. Porky's, Murder by Decree, we said, uh, Christmas Story. He did re- Baby Geniuses, the recent he years. He did the Baby Genius movie. Uh, and he did some other things in the 90s, but I think he, he hit it high with... Uh, you know, and then he did these these horror movies in the seventies. Children shouldn't play with dead things. There's another one, Marooner or something. Or yeah, well, even Murder by Time by Decree is pretty. Yeah, it's suspense yeah. horror. And yeah. then uh, Porky's did those, and then and it just seems like such a right turn to do a Christmas story. But then he does it so well. It's so and it's done such in a in a good way with you know a really underrated director in my opinion. I mean, just based on those like four it just shows the diversity. So movies, yeah. You know, I mean, I always love directors where like you know people's oh Hitchcock. Great, but for me, like I love, you know, like Carpenter. I like John Carpenter. I love Howard Hawks because not only do you get, you know, like the westerns and like the you know actiony serious moves, but then you get bringing up Baby yeah. out of it too, or um, like Billy Wilder. You yeah. know, you get uh, like Double Indemnity, but then you also get uh, 
something like it hot. Yeah. You know, yeah, like the, the guys that like just have such a mastery over the craft that they're not like restricted by genre. Yeah. And uh, Bob Clark is kind of like, sadly, he's passed away now, but kind of more of like a modern. Uh, you version know, of that. Ver- version of that. And I'm I, glad he did have some sort of connection with the uh, sequel. The, re- oh, I mean, the remake, remake. I'm yeah, sorry. Because yeah. then he filed suit against them and he won a crap load of money right before <laughs> he died. Like $17 million or something. Yeah, yeah. Because it was him and the other guy's idea and they didn't, I don't know. What it but was. I would totally recommend the remake too. Yeah, the remake is actually holds up. I mean, I would recommend the original that we're talking yeah, about I would the remake. Original first, but uh, uh, as, it, as far as remakes go, in terms of horror remakes yeah, go, it's but one it's of one of those that, again that, that like they have to explain it away for whatever reason. So, but, it's the, like, but, well, but their explanation is, is yeah. weird. Yeah, so, it, it, <laughs> so it, that it, way. it's certainly within its wheelhouse. But it's just like you know. So, well, thank you for listening to us. I hope you have a merry Christmas. Come back for part two. We're going to part be doing, two uh, of of our Christmas extravaganza. We're going to we'll tease you. We're doing. <laughs> A near and dear classic in my own heart. Uh, we hope you guys have heard of it. Um, should I give him a hint to what it is? I, can you give Can you give a hint? Is the question. Um, you know what I mean, Vern. <laughs> so please come air back. breaks. <laughs> air break. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I'd like to thank again Jay Blake for joining me. I'm Dion Baya. Um, we're uh, uh, Saturday night movie sleepovers. You can find us at SaturdaySleepovers.podwits.com. Uh, check us also out at the Podwits. We both write and we do a sidecast there. You can find us there. We're on iTunes. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. We're on a thing called Podroid. Uh, we're on some other stuff. Please like us, retweet us, share us, tell a friend, download our podcast. It's always free. Uh, please email us, us with suggestions, comments, questions, concerns. We'd love to see what you guys would like us to do in the future. What do you think of the cast? Why don't you tell us, uh, maybe we can have discussion topics for other movies. Um, and thank you for listening. Later. Germany, and pushing our boys ahead at the front, no band of brothers fought harder and more ferociously than Sergeant Fury and his Highland Commandos. Marvel Comics immortalized the courageous exploits of Sergeant Fury, Dum Dum Dugan, Gabe Jones, and the rest of the elite fighting unit. Well, hell, heavens and Metroid, here they come now, Sergeant Fury! Look alive, you gold bricks! I'm not fighting a war by myself out here. What do you think we're gonna do when the Nazis actually show up? Come on, you boys, march! Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast will follow those gripping stories of combat and bravery from the beginning. Join Brian Zeno and Dion Baia every other Monday as they dig into Marvel's classic Sergeant Fury and his Howling Commandos issue by issue with humor and historical insight. Wahoo! The Sergeant Fury podcast is available on iTunes and at furycast.podwits.com and is part of the Podwits Podcast Network. Face front, soldier! Wahoo!